Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am Kelly's husband, Austin. And my handsome co-host. Thanks, girl. On the regular. You're my regular co-host. Next week, actually, I'm going to have a special guest. um, Am I going to be on here or no? No, I don't think so. Whoa. Um, And it's going to be my best friend, Romeo. So those of you who have heard him before, um, he's been on a few episodes in the past, and we're going to do a special... Um, episode with him next week. So stay tuned for that. And then real quick, before we get started, I want to talk about CrimeCon. If you are thinking about going to CrimeCon, it is in September. I think it's September 22nd to the 24th in Orlando, Florida. We are going to be there on Podcast Row. This is like a dream come true of mine. I'm so excited. And if you want to get a ticket to, tr- to CrimeCon, use the code Mama Mystery to get 10% off your standard badge. On CrimeCon.com? Correct. CrimeCon.com. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's CrimeCon.com. Google CrimeCon. You'll find it. Anyway, I'm so excited. Chris Hansen's going to be there. Austin had no idea who Chris Hansen was. The only person I know that I recognize there is Nancy Grace. I don't know if she's going to be there. I didn't see if she's going to be there or not. But in the past, she was there. She's been there in the past. That's true. This is Um, Kelly's dream. This is my absolute dream. I'm just going to be... You know how like there's those people who like live for Disney, even as adults, and they go to Disney and they wear all the Disney stuff and they just live it up? Mm -hmm. This is my Disney. CrimeCon is my Disney. I am just going to be so starry-eyed and just in awe of everything. I probably won't say much because I'm just going to be like soaking it all in. And I think a lot of the people that listen to this it would be that for them also. Maybe. Maybe not as much as some. Like some people are like, yeah, I mean, I like true crime, but I'm good on a like a festival of it, you know? But Mm -hmm. then there's some who are like, hell yes, I'm going. Some of our favorite podcasts are going to be there. The Prosecutor's Pod is going to be there. Murderish is going to be there. Um, Going West is going to be there. There's going to be so many cool, cool people. I'm so freaking excited. And we're going to be there. And we're going to be there. The coolest. Yeah. Um, Chris Hansen. I can't believe you don't know who that is. I literally grew up watching To Catch a Predator. <laughs> I do not know who that is, babe. So inappropriate. I watched Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Remember that guy with the spooky voice? Oh, yeah. He's He's got to be dead by now. He used to give me the goosebumps. He's kind of creepy. He reminds me of Tales from the Crypt. I feel like those shows are just synonymous in my memory. But yeah, Chris Hansen hosted the show To Catch a Predator where they would like lure these online creepers into these like houses, but it was all always like a setup and they had somebody pretending to be like a 13-year-old girl online and they would get these creepers to be really inappropriate with them and then come to the house and then Chris Hansen would like walk out all of a sudden and be like, why don't you have a seat right there? And then they'd talk and be like, so what were you trying to do with a 13-year-old girl? That's how he would talk. Yeah. Oh, man, it was so good. I watched that show all the time. All right. Anyway, he's going to be there. Super exciting. Let's go. I'm excited. All right. Today's episode is coming out of Utah. We've kind of touched on this briefly, but today's episode is going to expand on this story. So I mentioned it in one of our headlines episodes in the past, but now that more information has come out, I think it's time to do another episode. Um, and there were probably there there will probably be more episodes on this topic um, in the future because this is just the beginning. So you ready? Dive in. Okay. Known as the gateway to the Uinta Mountains, Camas, Utah has drawn global attention to their quiet mountain valley community for all the wrong reasons. 
So Camas is about one hour east of Salt Lake City and only about a 22-minute drive from Park City, which is widely known for its powdery snow and even trademarking the tagline, the greatest snow on earth. Isn't that where you went on a ski trip back in February? Was it Park City? Park City, yeah. (laughs) You shook your head like, are you here? Yeah, yeah, Park City. Okay. Um, I've never, well, I have been to Park City, but not to ski and it was only kind of passing through, but it is absolutely beautiful. Super cool. The Super place cool, is like, like village, a vibe. Downtown. It's a vibe. It reminds me of Aspen in a way. Yeah. Um, I've been to Aspen, but not like spent any time there. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's a very popular ski area known for its vast terrain, fine dining, and one of the world's most innovative ski schools. It's also a hot spot for family friendly vacationing. Celebrities like Taylor Swift, Lisa Kudrow, and Michael Jordan all have homes in Park City, apparently. I did not know that. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Um, but Camas is little a little more toned down, and it's known as a great supply source for mountain hikers and campers who are kind of just passing through on their way to the Uinta Mountains. And just north of Salt Lake City is where Eric Richens was born in Bountiful, Utah, to his parents, Gene and Linda, on May 13th of 1982. Growing up, he had two younger sisters, Katie and Amy, and they were raised within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and worked hard on their family's ranch, tending cattle, mending fences, doing like that really hard work. It kind of like reminds me of Yellowstone. I was just thinking that. I was picturing that TV show. Yeah, like hard labor, um, but beautiful scenery. Anyway, from a young age, the values of hard work and loyalty were instilled upon him. In school, Eric was an athlete. He was involved in cross country, basketball, baseball, and soccer. And if he wasn't playing in a sport, he was watching it. He also loved hunting and hunted in exotic places all over the world, including Africa and Mexico, Canada, and various spots throughout the U.S. He spent two years in Mexico City on a mission for the LDS Church, where he learned how to speak fluent Spanish. And then he graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in international studies and a minor in Spanish. After graduation, he built his own masonry business with his close friend, Cody Wright, and their business proved to be very successful. They specialized in stonework in like really high-end expensive homes and businesses in the area. And then he met a woman named Corey Darden. While she was working at a local Home Depot, this was a place that he frequented often for work, and it was there that he finally asked the cute cashier out on a date. Corey's coworker, Linda King, said that Corey was a bit shy, but at, at the time, every time Eric would come into the store, he was boisterous and had this really infectious laugh, and he, Linda would see the way that Eric eyed Corey. And Corey thought Eric was cute, so Linda actually told Eric to ask her out on a date. She kind of played matchmaker. So he did, and the rest is history. They had this fairy tale romance. After that very first date, they became inseparable. And when you look at pictures of their history together, they look like your typical happy couple with a really beautiful future. So the pair tied the knot on June 15th of 2013 in the backyard of their home in Camas, Utah. And they went on to have three boys together. Eric was a passionate, loving father. He truly lived for his sons, and he was the truest family man. 
As the boys got older, he never missed an opportunity to coach their sports teams. He poured countless hours into his boys and their teammates. And as his masonry business continued to grow, Corey was blessed to be able to leave her job at Home Depot and just pave her own path. So she started a business of her own in 2019 called Kay Richens Realty, which specialized in flipping houses. So Corey was doing pretty well for herself as well, it seemed. She was buying and flipping these houses, and these were like incredible homes worth six to seven figures. So we're not talking like yeah. little little flippers. These are like big projects. But in September of 2020, Eric discovered that Corey had taken out a home equity line of credit on their home for $250,000 and spent every last dime of it. But he had no idea because she forged his names on the documents, like his initials and his signatures, forged it all. How would a bank or something not catch this? I mean, I don't know. I I go to the bank and try to get a HELOC on our house, they're going to be like, Kelly needs to come in and sign this. Right. But if you you just brought those papers home, I mean, do you think that like maybe this was a smaller bank where they had these like close relationships and they would allow her to just be like, oh yeah, take these home, have Eric sign them and bring them back. Especially if they were both doing business with the bank and stuff, good relationships, yeah. Right, and if they appeared to be this happy, successful couple on the outside, you know, anyone working at the bank might have just assumed that Mm -hmm. she's got credibility. So that happened. And then she also spent over $30,000 on his credit cards and withdrew at least $100,000 from their Holy bank account. So maybe she wasn't doing so well. Yeah. She was just pissing away money. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. It's alleged that she was, quote, appropriating distributions made from Eric Richens' business for the purpose of making federal and state quarterly tax payments and not paying the taxes. That's rough. Yeah. So you own businesses. You know just how much you have to pay in taxes and how much you can get into trouble if you don't. And so I know just from being with you how important it is to set aside these payments so that you're not left with this big bill at the end and no, you know, not knowing where you're going to get that money from. Have some tax burden of X number of dollars with nothing in the account. Can you imagine? And then you go and look and it's zero and you come to me and I'm like, oh yeah, I spent it all at Lululemon. And, and it's, while it might sound sad, but like no matter how great your relationship is in every sense of the word, mm-hmm. it can be fantastic in every sense of the word, five stars. Mm-hmm. But then if you find out that your wife or husband has screwed up finances like this to this degree, that's that's a deal breaker. Oh, for sure. And I feel like I've heard this somewhere, but finances are typically one of the top causes of divorce yep. because you're either not talking about them or you're not on the same page or I'm pretty sure it is top cause of divorce. Yeah, if if not the number one cause. But mm-hmm. yeah, I you know, I saw that in my own childhood growing up where parents, you know, weren't really on the same page as far as finances and it wreaked havoc on their relationship. And so you and I, I pride ourselves on having a really open line of communication when it comes to that. And I feel like everybody should. I feel like that's also something that you go through in marriage counseling. If you, if you do marriage counseling prior to getting married, what is that? Premarital counseling. Even if you don't do premarital counseling though, it needs to be conversations you have. And the sad thing is money is such a taboo topic in the world that we're in. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't talk to your kids about money. Don't talk to your friends about money. And so I know personally, I know several young couples who they're either going to get engaged or they're engaged and like 
I'm close enough with them. If I ask them something about their finances with their significant other, they're like, yeah, we don't really talk about it much. We're going to before we get married. It's like, that's a red flag. Like, stop. Like, you need to pump your brakes mm-hmm. and have conversations. That's a major part of your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So the stolen tax payments totaled at least 100, 330, what, what am 100, I saying? 100, 500 100. million <laughs> and 7,000. I'm just going to leave that in. Yeah. It totaled at least $134,346. So he confronted her about this, and she swore that she would pay him back. But the next month, Eric consulted with a divorce lawyer and his estate planning lawyer behind her back. He changed his will to take Corey out of it and also formed a living trust, placing his sister Katie in control of the trust. He also transferred his partnership interest in his masonry company to the trust and designated the trust as the beneficiary of his $500,000 life insurance policy. So this way, if anything were to happen to him, his partner Cody could still keep the business afloat, which you've, you've, you know, being in business, I feel like maybe not a lot of people understand how this type of thing works because not everybody owns businesses and understands why you would do something like this, but this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Everything he did was uh, the right move. Exactly. It's not even just to protect himself from Corey. You should do that regardless. If you're in business with a partner, you should have a life insurance policy that is, that names them as a beneficiary. A lot of banks require it. Yeah. Key person. And then like you should set your once you have a business that has enough value to it mm-hmm. and it's an asset, you don't want it to get caught in probate and all get like you want all your stuff to be guided correctly. Right, exactly. So so beyond any issues he and Corey were having, this was an important move to make regardless. Mm-hmm. So anyway, by 2022, the couple was still married, but whatever was going on behind closed doors remained to be seen by the public. Eric's family surely had their concerns about Eric and Corey's marriage, but it appeared they were trying to stick it out. And, you know, say what you want about maybe their religion having a a part in this, you know, being FLD or not FLDS, LDS. You know, I know that there's a lot of strict beliefs on marriage and divorce, but not only that, when you have three kids together, it is not an easy decision to make to end a marriage And a lot of people will stay in a marriage despite being miserable because they don't want to either leave their kids with that other parent or they don't want to not see those kids anymore. So, you know, we've talked a lot in the past about relationships or marriages where it's like, man, why do you stay? Why do you stay? But you'll never know. You'll never understand until you're in that position, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just keep that in mind. But As Eric's masonry business continued to grow, he increased the size of his life insurance policy to $2 million. He and Cody both had the same policy, actually. But on January 1st, Eric got an alert that Corey changed the beneficiary from Cody to herself. So then he changed it back. Later that same month, Corey purchased a new life insurance policy on Eric for $100,000. And this would actually be the fourth or fifth life insurance policy that she would purchase on Eric's life in the last two years. I mean, these are red flags. I, I mean, we can say that now, knowing what we know or what you're about to know. But, um, I mean, if someone's like insisting they get life insurance policies on you and that they name themselves, I mean, we need to have some important conversations, some uncomfortable conversations. So then Corey comes upon a colossal mansion spanning 22,000 square feet, 
located in Heber City. It's either Heber or Heber, I don't know, and Midway. So everyone knows about this home because it's literally like, it's not off the beaten path. It's very visible. It's unfinished. I'm going to talk more about it, but this is a very popular home. A lot of people in the area know about this home. This home was still under construction and remained incomplete for over five years, becoming a bit of an eyesore to the locals. It was situated on a vast 10-acre parcel of land in Wasatch County. The property was originally established when Doug Roylance started building the house with the intent to use it as a communal space for rent. Initially, it was valued at $7.6 million, featuring eight bedrooms, 12 bathrooms, two kitchens, a swimming pool, a golf simulator, a rock climbing wall, an indoor volleyball court, and a room specifically designed for virtual reality. And there's also a caretaker's home with an additional 3,300 square feet, not included in the original 22,000 I mentioned before. Holy shit, I just Googled it and it's nuts. It's massive. It's really pretty. I mean, you can tell that once it's finished, it'll look cool, but it's just sitting there like that. It's crazy. I'm going to put the pictures of it on our social media. So you can check out the pictures on Mama Mystery Podcast on Instagram. Um, I think it's mama.mysterypodcast if you haven't followed us yet. But I'll put the pictures of the mansion on. The uh, caretaker house is giant. It's 3,300 square feet. Yeah, this is nuts. Yeah. So two years after construction started, it was paused after an unattended death occurred on site in September of 2019. I couldn't really find any information on this unattended death. It's not related to the story. I don't know if it was just an accident of one of the workers. I don't know. But by the end of the year, construction on the property had stopped altogether by the end of 2019. So all that's left is the structure, the wooden beams, and the majority of the roof. And it does look like it would be a breathtaking property if it would ever get finished. Mm -hmm. And Corey appeared to have the same vision. So she went to her husband and said she wanted to buy and flip this house. The house was going to cost about $2.5 million, but her goal was to flip it and sell it for five. Eric, however, did not think this was a good idea. The house had been sitting unfinished for years. He didn't believe that she'd be able to get a good return on it, and he didn't believe that this would be a smart move for her or anyone for that matter. It's a big bag to hold. I mean, it's that that big. It's going to take time to finish. The economy turns. Yeah, and who knows what like damage has been done with it being sitting, you know, with it being what am I trying to say? Sitting unfinished. And, yeah, and with like holes in the roof, essentially. Right. Like there's got to be water damage, weather damage. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to take that on either. But they quarreled over this property, but ultimately Corey refused to back down and she went forward with purchasing the unfinished property. So by March 3rd of 2022, Corey is up to her eyeballs in debt, reportedly owing more than a million dollars And that day, she was on the phone with a bank to whom she owed $1.8 million. And then she also had a long call with the IRS to whom she owed $189,840. Not to mention the money, she still had to repay Eric, which totaled at least $514,000. Sounds like she's living in la-la land. (laughs) Literally. So that night, it's unclear if Eric was aware that she ended up closing on that massive property. But the following is directly from an affidavit in this case. So I'm just going to read it for verbatim. 
It says, quote, in the early morning hours of the next morning, March 4th at 3.22 a.m., Summit County Sheriff's deputies and EMS staff responded to a residence located at 282 Willow Court in Summit County on the report of an unresponsive male. When they arrived, they found Eric on the floor at the foot of his bed. Life-saving measures were attempted, but Eric was declared deceased. During interviews with the deceased wife, Corey, she stated that around 9 p.m. the night before, she and Eric were celebrating her closing on a house for her business. She stated that she made Eric a Moscow mule in the kitchen and brought it to their bedroom where Eric consumed it while sitting in bed. She stated she went to bed and shortly after went to sleep with one of the children in the child's bedroom because the child was having a night terror. She awoke around 3 a.m. and came back to her in Eric's bedroom. She felt Eric and he was cold to the touch. That is when she called 911. She told law enforcement that when she left her room to go to her kid's room, she left her phone plugged in next to her bed and did not take it to her child's room. However, between when the defendant said she went to the child's room and when she called 911, the status on her phone shows that it would lock that it was locked and unlocked multiple times, and there was also movement recorded on the phone. In addition, tolls on Corey's phone show that messages were sent and received during that time, and those messages were deleted, end quote. So following Eric's untimely death, Corey was telling people various causes of death. She told Linda, her prior coworker at Home Depot, the one that hooked them up, that he died from a brain aneurysm. She told others that he died from COVID complications. Others, she told that he overdosed. As each night passed without their dad, Eric and Corey's boys had a really hard time understanding what happened and how to process his death. Corey said she wanted to find some sort of literature she could read to them to help them through it. But how could, old were her boys? Sorry. Oh, I'm not sure. They were in various ages under 10. Okay. Um, but she couldn't find a book that was, you know, what she was looking for. So she decided to write a book herself and she published a children's book called, Are You With Me? And on the cover of the book, there's this little cartoon of a boy playing soccer and up in the cloud is a drawing of a father closely resembling Eric with a halo and angel wings. So after writing her book, she reached out to a local news station to see if she could be featured on one of their broadcasts. So they brought her on and she promoted her book and she, you know, talked about the process of what it was like to write the book with her three sons. And on the night that her segment aired, the station received an anonymous email saying, you know, she killed her husband, right? Today's episode is sponsored by StoryWorth. I thought I knew my dad really well, better than anyone, but one day we were chatting and I heard a story that I had never heard before, and that got me wondering, how many other stories don't I know? So that's why for Father's Day, I got my dad and I got my husband the gift of StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your dad or your husband, uncle, any father figure connect through sharing stories and memories, and then it preserves them for years to come. So here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one with a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast array of possible options. 
Each unique prompt asks questions you may have never thought to ask, like, what's your fondest childhood memory? Or have you ever feared for your life? Or my personal favorite, how did you rebel as a child? Now that I'm a parent myself, it just makes me curious to know what kind of kid my parent was. Something about that just really humanizes them. You will enjoy reading the responses, and after one year, StoryWorth compiles all those questions and stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that the whole family can share for generations to come. Give all the father figures in your life a meaningful gift you can both cherish for years to come. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash mama mystery. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash mama mystery to save $10 off your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash mama mystery, just in time for Father's Day. They say hair care is the new skincare, but this is one brand that has taken it to the next level. With a cult-like following, Kitsch has created game-changing essentials beauty enthusiasts swear by. From satin pillowcases to time-saving towels, Kitsch knows hair care doesn't stop in the shower. Whatever your budget, your skin type, or your hair type, Kitsch believes you deserve little indulgences at an affordable price, morning, noon, and night. Their best sellers include the Heatless Satin Curling Rollers. Say bye-bye to heat damage. These are the original, the OG, and still the best heatless curlers. Don't settle for knockoffs. Get the ones that started the craze. My personal favorite is the Rosemary Scalp Oil. It supports scalp health and hair strength, and it smells so good. You may have seen me recommend this on my socials. I absolutely love this stuff. I will even put it in and just let it set. Like you're supposed to let it sit for about 10 minutes. I let it set for a while because it smells so good. But right now, Kitsch is offering 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash mama. That's right. 30% off anything and everything at MyKitsch, which is M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash M-A-M-A. One more time, that is MyKitsch.com slash mama for 30% off your order. Do not pass this up. So let's venture back. According to Eric's family, he had expressed concerns in the past that he believed his wife had attempted to poison him, including during a vacation in Greece a few years ago. While they were there, Corey made Eric a drink, and after he drank it, he became violently ill. On Valentine's Day of 2022, only a few weeks before Eric passed, Corey surprised Eric by making his lunch for the day and placing it in the seat of his truck with this sweet little Valentine's Day love note. But the moment he started eating the sandwich, he started to have what he thought was a severe allergic reaction. Thankfully, his son's EpiPen was in his truck and he was able to administer the medication. He also took some Benadryl and it wiped him out. So he passed out on the couch for a few hours, and then when he woke up, he texted his friend saying that he thought his wife might be trying to poison him. Man, can you imagine? Like, imagine your spouse is trying to poison you, and you you think that's the case. How do you address it? Did you try poisoning me? (laughs) You know what I did? 
Busted. Busted. Super sorry about that. I will not be doing that again. Yeah, I won't do that one more time. But, um, you know, this is like oddly common. We just talked about James and Angela Craig, the dentist out of, I think, Colorado, who poisoned his wife. And she knew that he had tried poisoning her before because he admitted to it. But his excuse then was that he just wanted to kind of knock her out so that he could kill himself and she wouldn't foil his plans and try to intervene, right? Likely Mm -hmm. story, sure. You know, you could have just sent her on vacation if you were some like doting husband. You could have been like, hey, go to Mexico by yourself. I'll be good. The poison was cheaper. Doesn't matter anyway. I know, I know. This is all conjecture, but I just can't believe people do this. Anyway, the day after Eric died, Corey threw a party to celebrate closing on the house. The The day day after after he died? Yes. That's a, like, come on. Austin. It's obvious. I understand how unbelievable that is. Multiple sources confirm this. That she threw a fucking party the day after he died to celebrate closing on this massive property. Yeah, he's dead, but like still, it's still a big deal. But like still, guys, this is like so exciting. Crazy. (laughs) What the, what? So Eric's sister, Katie, found out about this party and she showed up to the party and confronted Corey. The two got into it and... Corey told her to leave. Katie told her, no, you leave. This isn't even your house. Eric cut you out of his will. They ended up getting physical with each other. Like, there was a fight that took place. And the very next day, March 6th, Corey hired a locksmith to come break into Eric's safe, which held more than $100,000 in cash that he had set aside, again, to pay taxes for his business. After the incident at the party, Corey filed a lawsuit seeking over $3.6 million and the removal of Katie as the trustee. She argued that a prenuptial agreement she and her husband had signed entitled her to his assets in the event of his death, as long as they were still married. So following an autopsy and pursuant to toxicology findings from the autopsy, it was determined that Eric died from an overdose of fentanyl. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that because it takes like a pen cap to kill somebody. Not and even so that, people, a pen tip. Uh, sorry, a pen tip, that's yeah. what I meant. And so that's what people do. They go get this cheap shit, and that's crazy. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. And let me guess, she has enough life insurance through all the policies to cover the debts that she had. She would have, yes. Yeah. I'm just assuming. Like, yeah. You said $1.9 million on the house. Yeah. She owes the IRS $180,000, you said. Mm-hmm. And then she owes him five hundred. Well, that debt's gone because she doesn't owe it to him anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she needs $2 million in life insurance. Mm-hmm. And she was arguing for three point six. Crazy. So um, the autopsy showed that the fentanyl was not a medical-grade fentanyl and then it was an illicit form and also that it was ingested orally. So once investigators got the results from his toxicology report, they issued a search warrant on Corey and Eric's house. They seized her phone and several computers, and once they downloaded the contents of Corey's phone, they found interesting correspondence between her and someone identified by their initials as C.L., So CL was an acquaintance of Corey's, but when they ran this person's record, they found multiple counts of possession of a controlled substance with the intent to distribute, possession of a controlled substance, and possession of drug paraphernalia. 
So they brought CL in for questioning on May 2nd of 2023, more than a year after Eric's death. CL told investigators that sometime between December of 21 and February of 22, Corey texted her and asked if CL could get her some prescription pain meds for an investor who had a back injury. Within a few days, CL procured the hydrocodone pills from a dealer. Corey told CL to leave the pills at a house that she was flipping in Midway, that massive mansion causing so much contention in Corey and Eric's uh, relationship. So CL left the pills at the house and Corey left cash for her. So about two weeks later, Corey contacted CL again and said that her investor wanted something stronger and asked for, quote, some of the Michael Jackson stuff, end quote, which was actually propofol. But um, anyway, she's asking specifically for fentanyl. Get your drugs right, dummy. Anyway, CL contacted- you and I would know so much about what the hell it means. Well, I do, but that's because I'm, it's of I'm a weirdo. It's because of Google and true crime madness. I'm just weird, yeah. That's fine. Anyway, CL contacted a dealer in Ogden on February 11th of 2022 and procured another 15 to 30 fentanyl pills from that dealer. So then Corey came to CL's home in Heber, Heber, not sure. It's Heber, Heber City. Heber? Okay, thank you. And CL delivered the pills to Corey, who paid another $900 for these pills. So this was right before the Valentine's Day incident when Eric took that EpiPen. And just out of curiosity, I looked to see if the effects of an EpiPen would be similar to the effects of Narcan, which is used to revive someone in the event of an opioid overdose. In a study published on the National Library of Medicine, scientists conducted a test on lab rats where they induced heart attacks on 24 rats by clamping their tracheal tubes, which made me really sad to read. But anyway... These rats were then divided into three groups. One group was given CPR and saline. One group was given CPR and Narcan. And the last group was given CPR and epinephrine. The Narcan and epinephrine groups were equally successful with 87.5% of the rats regaining spontaneous circulation, while the saline group's resuscitation rate was much lower at 12.5%. Okay, I understand that Narcan and EpiPen have different uses. EpiPen is a vasodilator. It's used when you're having an uh, allergic reaction. Narcan blocks the receptors in your brain from receiving whatever the, you know, heroin or whatever kind of opioid chemicals interact with your brain. But this leads me to believe someone can surely say this in a much more fluent you know, articulate way. (laughs) But this leads me to believe that Corey tried poisoning Eric on Valentine's Day with the fentanyl that she purchased just three days prior on February 11th. And he survived because he happened to have that EpiPen nearby and the frame of mind to use it. Agreed. So obviously I'm not saying EpiPens will save your life in the event of an overdose. I'm just saying there's got to be some sort of correlation here that she tried to poison him the first time with the fentanyl it didn't work because he had the EpiPen. If he hadn't had the Epi- EpiPen, who knows what would have happened. Anyway, don't come for me if you're a scientist. I am just a layman girl. I like to write and read. Like, that's it, okay? I'm not trying the to be medical advice. Yeah. Anyway, about two weeks after that failed attempt, Corey contacted CL again asking for another $900 worth of fentanyl pills. 
CL contacted the Ogden dealer again on February 26th and produced the pills. Corey told CL to leave the pills at the outdoor fire pit of the Midway house where there was cash waiting for her. Six days later, on March 4th, Eric was found dead of a fentanyl overdose. So. All adds up. The math is mathin. You killed your husband. And she's been out for the, at this time for a year, just hanging out. She's been free. Writing children's books. That's yeah. the, that's the thing that's blowing my mind is that she's writing children book, children's books, profiting off of this trauma that she induced on her own kids, mm-hmm. drawing cartoon of her husband that she freaking killed up in the clouds. The audacity mm-hmm. is gross. So obviously the disputes over the mansion serve as one of the many unanswered questions regarding the motive, which will likely be explored if Richin's case goes to trial. I'm sure it will. Um, I don't know if she's pled yet, but obviously there's still a lot to be discovered on this case. There's going to be a lot to talk about. I promise I will stay up to date with it because it's just so, so crazy. So she um, could be listening to this. No, she's in jail. Oh. Yeah. When does that happen? You didn't say that. Well, um, I think I'm going to get to it if, okay. I, if I remember right. So since Eric Richen's death, his relatives have been in a legal battle with his wife over his estate. And this includes disputes over the division of the masonry business with Eric's former partner and Corey Richen's claims to a trust designated for his immediate family. Greg Scordis, an attorney and victim's advocate representing Eric Richen's relatives, shared that the three children are currently residing with an undisclosed relative while their mother awaits trial. Katie, Eric Richen's sister and the trustee of his estate, filed for guardianship over the couple's three children. So I'm assuming they are with her. I hope they are with her. Um, and on November 15th of 2022, Corey and her real estate company were actually sued by a couple who purchased a home from her. And this couple claimed that Corey sold them a home that she knew had issues like mold and water leakage due to corroded copper piping under the stairs and poorly installed windows. So it's obviously not beyond the scope of possibility that Corey is a liar and a greedy scammer. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, probably a duck. It's a murderer. <laughs> it's a murderer. I just looked at her up real quick. Mm-hmm. Three days ago, the mother facing numerous felony charges appeared in court for the first time last week after prosecutors sought a gag order to prevent those involved in the case from speaking about it publicly. Mm-hmm. The Summit County Attorney's Office said the order was needed as four documentary crews and various national media outlets have attempted to approach the 33-year-old Corey Darden Richens, who is charged with the aggravated murder of her husband, Eric Richens, as well as members of his family and court staffers for, for information related to ongoing cases. Third District Court Judge Richard Mrazek denied the motion on, on Friday, saying it was too broad. The request was similar to the one issued in the Brian Koberger case. I was just going to say that. In which he is accused of killing four University of Idaho students last November. Prosecutor Patricia Castle argued the gag order was needed Oh, I thought you were telling me to stop. <laughs> Argued that the gag order was needed to ensure a fair trial and to protect the Richens' children. Mm-hmm. Non-local media is accused of camping out in the waiting area of the county attorney's office, attempting to enter the jail to speak to Corey. Oh, my gosh. Contacting the Summit County Jail and questioning whether the defendant is eating her food, reaching out to key witnesses for statements, making promises of having a handsome actor play the Richens' family private investigator in an upcoming movie, and approaching a court clerk at the gas station request 
requesting information. <laughs> According to court documents, call records from the jail show jail show that Corey has been communicating with a documentary filmmaker directly and through a friend. Shut up. While I did her defense not know attorney that. Sky Lazaro was supportive of enforcing protections for the Richens oh children, gosh. she was against the gag order. She said it would allow only the public narrative to be what's been filed in court documents, which could harm her client's defense and taint the jury pool. She noted that both the prosecutors and the defense, as well as their witnesses, are expected to act with professional conduct, which includes statements she makes to the media. It goes on and on, but that's crazy. Wow. So she's already talking to documentary film crews. She's trying to monetize this. Well, even that's more. all she's, yeah, yeah, she's, she's just, all she sees is dollar signs, clearly. Does she still own the mansion? No, the mansion, I believe, was sold. Um, but I don't, I don't have information. It's crazy that. how crazy this mansion is. If you just search Heber City Manson, Mansion, it's the first thing that comes up. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of twenty-two thousand square foot mansions in the world, yeah. but wild. Yeah, um, I, I mean, obviously this is going to be story. ongoing. It kind of, it kind of baffles me a little bit that so many people are so intrigued by this, but I get it at the same time because mm-hmm. this is a beautiful couple. And you just would not look at somebody like this and assume they're capable of something like that, right? And she's going on the news and she she looks like she looks like friends of mine. Like mm-hmm. she literally looks like some of the girls that I am friends with. So to when you think about it like that and you think, oh my gosh, could you imagine if one of your friends did this and you just never saw it coming? Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine that's why it's so intriguing. America loves a good story of a of a of a Pretty white girl killing her handsome white husband. And they also like watching the downfall of successful people or of what they deem to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of a combination. Yeah. I think it, you know, it just kind of brings me back to like the Gabby Petito case and how that was such a huge social media viral story. And a lot of people felt like it was because she was this pretty white girl. And then you have the Idaho murders. It's all these. There's probably some trueness to that shit as much as it sucks to... That, that the pretty white girl gets think, the gets the narrative, is. but I mean, and it's horse shit, but it's... It is because, you know, Shanquella Robinson, we covered her story and that has been a huge miscarriage of justice. I've talked yes. about, we dedicated a whole episode to her story, but then we also followed up once the FBI essentially said there wasn't enough to charge anyone in her death. And that is bullshit. That is bullshit. Is that the one down in Mexico that happened? Yes. Yeah, I remember that one. That is. And yeah. I just, I saw that and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is proving everybody's point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I could go on a tangent about that. We can, we can, we don't have to do that right now. <laughs> but there's definitely something to be said for it. I believe there's truth to it, no matter, no matter what you think, whether well, be, you want to believe it or not. It's well. Back it's to true. the case. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out because she's obviously guilty. Right. She's going to plead not guilty. She's yeah. 1,000% going to plead not guilty. I would love to hear what her defense is. I think what she's going to say is that, oh, he had a drug problem and that's why we're in debt. Mark my words, okay? I'm going to say this. It is June 9th, okay? Her defense is going to be that he had a drug, he had problem. A drug problem. That's why they're in debt. That's why the financial issues. And, and I was he covering overdosed. It yes, you're spot on. Yes. That's my prediction too. Yeah. And on that note, I got a song for all these wild women. Mama, mystery. Out. <laughs> oh, God.
You ready? Hey, you're crazy, bitch, but you're so good. I'm on top of it. Scratches all down my back. Keep me right on.